guess what? We're on Patreon. Tiers start at just $1 a month. And we have three of them. Become a brilliant backer for $1. Find out early about new merch and ticketed events and get access to our monthly newsletter. Support our show by becoming a confident contributor for $4 a month. In addition to the benefits from the previous tier, you get access to our Discord community and one bonus episode every Sunday. Or lastly, prove that you love us the most by becoming a sensational super fan for $7. In addition to the benefits from the previous tiers, get access to a monthly interactive live stream with one of us and get the power to decide future Lady History content by voting. Join our community and help us keep the show running at patreon.com slash ladyhistorypod. Woohoo, we did it. This is for uh, Commander Crippen and uh, Sally Ride. Could you compare the, uh, this, uh, this mission with the other missions that you've been on, uh, comparing the problems and the, uh, the crowded conditions and the heat, as well as the accomplishments of uh, what you think you're doing up there? Uh, well, the last mission that, uh, that I was on with Crip was, was a great mission, and we really didn't have many problems, and uh, we had a great time the whole time we were up there. This mission, I guess any space flight is a great space flight, and we're having, we're having an awful lot of fun. We've had a few more problems, um, but so far we've been pretty successful in all the things that, that we've been trying to do. We got the Earth spacecraft deployed on flight day one although that was a little bit of a struggle, but uh, just made us all the more happy when we, when we got it out there. And I think that uh, the crowded conditions, it's, it's more crowded with seven people than it was with five, but uh, everybody's been pretty good about trying to stay out of everybody else's way, and it's, it's really working pretty well. So dedication or shout out, if you will, to my grandfather. I'm actually currently in his apartment. Also right upstairs is where I was born. So this is kind of full circle. I am wearing his flannel. Were you not born in a hospital? Oh, I was born in the hospital. No, no, no. I like my first house was right above me. Thank you for clarifying. His favorite museum ever was the Air and Space Museum. Like to the fact that he was just obsessed with uh, military ships, anything that could fly. Uh, the Intrepid in New York City. He went with my mom. But he's also the reason why I went to GW because it was between like GW and Barnard for applying early decision. And I was very stressed out. And he said, I think great things will happen to you at GW in DC. And it's your time to like leave New York, which was like not a thing that happened in my family on my mom's side. He came to my GW interview, my CI, and then also helped me move in. And every single time he went to visit the Natural History Museum and the Air and Space Museum, and then would finish off the day at the Kennedy Center for their free like daily concert, and then would meet up with us somewhere on campus. And he'd be like, I saw this spaceship. And he would just like fangirl over a spaceship and a rocket and just all the stuff at this museum. And he would always ask if I could work at the Natural History Museum or the Air and Space Museum. Worked at one of those, have not worked at the Space Museum. So this is for you, Wowo. I couldn't say Abuelo, so his name was Wowo. I learned Spanish and English at the same time and some shit got confused. That's adorable. This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. 
I'm giving up on the Zoom references, but Lexi is in this one with me as usual. Lexi, what would you name your space program? Ah, oh, Sprinkle Bear McPuss in Boots. Of course, obviously. Haley is shaking her head at us and rolling her eyes. We love to see it. Of course, it is my other Zoom companion, Haley. Haley, are you a star child? Isn't that like a singer? I don't, I don't know. It's just a phrase and I wanted to see what you would word vom about it. Dude, I'm not a youth. I like obviously <laughs> don't know what that is. I don't either. Don't bring up some Tumblr stuff. Where I did you get that from? I just heard it. Okay. That sounds like something that you found on like a Tumblr meme. And I'm Alana and the universe is constantly expanding. Surprise! We have another guest. Today's guest is one of my all-time best friends, just since my gal pal of elementary school, Lauren Berger. Lauren is one of the humans who worked on the Mars rover at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. So Lauren, even though I read your text messages correcting me, you're gonna have to correct me again. JPL is a lab run by NASA, but it's like housed in Caltech. So the way I like to remember it is that um, we ourselves are Caltech employees, but everything we touch is NASA. So we're okay. a NASA funded base that's run by Caltech, which is nice because um, across different um, government administrations, it kind of keeps the stability for the lab. Okay, so that kind of goes into my first question of what did you specifically work on the Mars rover or NASA in general? So I interned at the NASA Jet Repulsion Laboratory for two and a half years. I spent probably about two years of that working for the Mars 2020 rover, so Perseverance. Um, and then I spent, um, I guess, the other half a year working on the InSight lander, which was incredible. So I was part of a group called, we called it ISIWIG. So it's the InSight Instrument Site Selection Working Group. I had to practice that. Um, <laughs> And our main goal there was to, there are two instruments on top of the InSight lander, and we had to place those on the surface of Mars. So I was part of that mission, um, which was a quick mission. And is that the Mars 2020 rover that just landed, or is that completely something different? So InSight landed um, right before Christmas, or right after Thanksgiving um, in okay. 2018, I believe. And then Mars 2020 is about to land in February. Oh, that's amazing. We're all clapping for you. Uh, Lexi's doing a happy dance. <laughs> so yeah. while I was there, I was working under Matthew Gallenbeck, um, who's known as the landing site dude, um, because he has spent his entire career landing things on the surface of Mars. So I was working for a lab whose specific job was just to land things on Mars. Um, so. I don't know why that just like that job description is something that I've never thought about, but makes so much sense in my head. And I would love to have like his business card where it just says at the bottom job hyphen to land things on Mars. That's all he does, yeah. but he's incredible at it. He's so, landed everything since Perseverance, um, which what is it? Sojourner was his first rover. So that was 1997. That's when we were born. I know. Anywho, I left out on a sticker because they said I couldn't have it because I wasn't born yet. <laughs> I would just Never like to say I was born, but okay. <laughs> okay, I, if it was before uh, May 1997, 
then I was not born post May 1997. I definitely was not born. It's really funny because before October. Yes, because Lauren is the baby of our group, but I'm the oldest and it should be reversed because Lauren is the most responsible one of our friend group. Okay, don't (laughs) Lauren is a rocket scientist. Like, yeah. I'm a (laughs) rock scientist. My mom likes to say rocket scientist. Or my mom likes to call me a rock scientist, her friends, because they think that she's saying rocket, but I'm I'm... (laughs) you do the planetary rocks yeah um, I would love to watch you fly a rocket that would be <laughs> I don't know why that just sounds really... <laughs> I know <laughs> but like you you've driven cars better than I can so in my head you could drive a rocket besides Matt and yourself um what other contributions to the Mars rover were like women inspired or women had a part of it because like we are a lady yeah. history podcast Yeah, so I worked very closely with multiple women. So one was Dr. Ingrid Daubar. Um, So she worked in the same lab with um, under Matt Gollenbeck with me. And she's incredible. She's actually now a professor at Brown. And she's one of the most awe-inspiring women I've ever met. And so she was doing um, also the Juno mission. So she was on multiple planets and moons, but she did some Mars 2020 work. Also, um, Arissa Steely. So she was an EDL engineer. So entry, descent, and landing. Um, I got to work closely with her when working on, there were four different candidate landing sites and my job was to map those. And after a little bit of time, they started to think, hey, what if we drove from one to the other? And then we got a new site called Midway. And so I helped work on that traverse path from one site, candidate site to the other. Um, actually one of those was selected, so Jezero Crater to the site that we call Midway, Arissa Steely. So I interviewed her at that point and I sat down I talked to her I was like could the rover drive up this cliff and she was like no could the rover drive over here yes and we found actual potential path and a huge like astounding woman that I admire so much Dr. Katie Stack Morgan so she is the deputy project scientist for Perseverance and I actually had lunch with her my first day at JPL when I had no idea what was happening I was just so excited out of my mind I was supposed to be there for two hours and ended up staying the whole day it was the craziest thing. That. Yeah, we had to walk past the um, giant replica of the Curiosity rover to sign in. And that was just like blown out of my mind. But I had lunch with Katie that day. And also when I did the traverse paths, Katie's the one who presented that at the fourth Mars 2020 landing site workshop where Jezero was actually selected. And she's just incredible. So obviously you've gotten some advice from uh, women in the STEM field and NASA. What advice would you give others like girls or even women now that wanting to do a life change and go work at NASA or get into STEM fields? I think I'd have to say just try because I I never thought I would get to work for NASA. I applied because I got an email from it at my university. Some friends and I sat down and thought, hey, let's take a night. I'll apply to these internships. It'll be fun. Didn't think twice about it until um, it was about 10 o'clock at night. I checked my email in December of what would that be like 2016 and saw that I got the internship and I had no like no no idea that I could have ever achieved that and so I'm happy I just tried you know and then from there they kept me for an additional two and a half years so and you mentioned that you got an email from school so where did you go to school and like what did you study Yes. So I um, went to Oxnard College and I have a BA in geology with a concentration in environmental science. You're my dream. I'll say it. 
I fangirl over Lauren in the most awkward situations, <laughs> but I also will randomly send her pictures of rocks and just be like, tell me what this is. Um, it's amazing. So you kind of like touched a note, touched upon who inspired you at NASA. Um, do you have any other space or STEM inspirations in life? Yeah. You've looked up to? Um, one would definitely be my college advisor, Dr. Margie Rushmore. She helped me with my senior thesis, which I did in conjunction with Matt Gollenbeck, though at JPL. Definitely Dr. Serena Diniega. She is very active on the Young Scientists for Planetary Exploration page and offers amazing advice to anyone who needs it. Also, she's an amazing baker. I spent a lot of time at the Women in Science group at JPL, and oftentimes women would bring in baked goods. Hers were the best. Dr. Christina Ricci. I saw her give a talk at the Lunar Planetary Science Conference on imposter syndrome and was so blown away that actually I brought that talk to my university through the Women in STEM Club that I actually was a part of at Occidental College. And she, without a moment's pause, without even thinking about it, met up with me on Halloween, by the way, she was wearing a David Bowie costume. <gasps> and she came and she talked without asking for compensation, without anything in mind and said, I would love to come and talk to your school and took a whole night to come do that. So she, every day, she is my inspiration. Um, Dr. Abby Friedman, Vivian's son, Seuss McCarr, Dr. Seuss McCarr. I, weirdly enough, at JPL, there were a lot of women who worked on my floor. And one of my favorite spots was the women's restroom because <laughs> it was all of my role models in a, in a room together. And Dr. Abby Freeman, or Abby Freeman and um, Dr. Laura Kerber, who's an amazing volcanologist designing a mission to the moon, she also posts poetry in the left-hand bathroom stall. I'm not <laughs> sure who was posting the artwork in the right-hand bathroom stall, but it changed weekly and it was amazing. <laughs> Volcanology is also the study of volcanoes for those who don't know yet. So now we got goofy with some talk about bathroom poems. Um, I'm going to start that in my bathroom. Robert's going to be quite surprised, but you know what? You need something to look at while you go number one or number two. Do you own any NASA merch and how often do you flex it? You are wearing NASA merch, so flexing <laughs> it right now. So at the start of our internships, uh, we got a t-shirt. I ended up with four of them, but on the front, I couldn't find it. I would wear it now, but it's a black t-shirt and on the front, it says the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And on the back was a really cool design actually done by scientists at NASA. So I hoarded those, but I actually spent a lot of my own money at the gift shop. So essentially, whenever like a new shirt would come out, you would see just a wave of NASA Amazing. employees running up there. Like I remember the Mars 2020 t-shirt sold out so quickly. Everyone had to run up and grab one before they were out. But actually, I mainly gave my NASA things away as presents, which I think my siblings preferred to me giving them rocks. So look, I got rocks, so... I didn't know NASA merch could have been included, but I'll get over it. What's your favorite planet? And it's okay, you can choose. I won't tell the other planets. It's actually Earth. Yeah, um, just because <laughs> it fosters life. And I don't want to jump in me. here, but that's something that Hank Green says all the time, is that his favorite planet is Earth and his second favorite planet is Mars. But like, that's the thing. People are like, what's your favorite planet? He's like, Earth. It's the only one we can live on. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, also love Hank Green. Yeah. And it's just, there's so much beauty we can find here. And yes, I say that even as I'm trying to have a career, spending all of my time looking at black and white images of the surface of Mars. But 
I still appreciate the one that are outside my hypothetical window. And yeah, and I, Mars is definitely my second, just because this was the first planet that I ever got to work on outside of Earth. And I had no idea all the amazing, beautiful things that exist there. And what most people don't realize is um, we have 25 centimeter per pixel orbital imagery of Mars. So for context, that's better than what we have for Earth because of privacy laws. So that's how close you can see the surface of Mars. It's, it's sad for other planets that we have nowhere near as much data for any other planets or moons. It's an issue, but for Mars, it's amazing. And I actually recommend that anyone who's interested in Mars, they go to the high rise image free page. So high rise has a website that's the high resolution imaging science experiment and all of their data slash images are up there for free for use by anyone. So if you want to just do some of your own science, feel free to go on, pull up a page and they post amazing, spectacular new images all the time. I love that. Do you have a favorite space related song? Space Oddity. Hands down, Space Lexi Oddity. Lexi clearly knows that song. Yeah. I don't know that song. My um, JPL friends and I, uh, one summer when I was working there, um, one great thing about JPL is it's huge camaraderie. Like everyone is just working together. It's the best working environment I've ever experienced. Um, but also because everyone becomes really good friends, um, especially with the summer interns, JPL gets like 700 summer interns every year, which is a lot. Anyways, a group of us got together and we went and crashed a SpaceX launch in California. It was only like a few hour drive and we went and crashed it and we were blasting Space Oddity and Rocket Man. They told us we had to stop, but it was, it was a great day. So when you were like little, what did you want to be when you grew up? First, I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher because my kindergarten teacher told me I could only write on the whiteboard when I was a kindergarten teacher. And then when I got over that, I realized you could just buy a whiteboard. <laughs> yeah. um, then I wanted to be a librarian. As you can see, I was a riveting child. And then lastly, is there life on Mars? One of the constant jokes we made whenever we would get a new image down was that we would find a dinosaur bone. You know, it was like, cause everyone's always like, oh, the dinosaur bone, like obviously it's not going to happen. I think it's entirely possible that there is life on Mars. If it's there, it's gonna be small. We're talking like okay. microbes, but even then I think that's very important to find. Um, and I think it would be spectacular. We have, we know that there's water. We know that there's organic matter. There, there's the possibility. It's just a matter of finding it if it's there. You guys have any last questions for her? I do. And it's actually another Hank Green reference. Do you think that humans are going to make it to Mars by 2028? It really depends. Like politicians like to say that the NASA budget now is more than it was during, you know, the big space race in the 1960s. If you're accounting for inflation, it is not. So I think what would happen in order for us to get to Mars, I think it's possible. But during the last government administration, there was a huge shift to the moon. So a lot of the- You mean you didn't get more Space Force money? Oh my gosh. That was, I went into work the day after that came out and everyone, no one even wanted to talk about it. Everyone was terrified. <laughs> Um, I texted Lauren, Space Force, dot, dot, dot. How happy are you? <laughs> like, no one was happy. I it knew she was pissed about it. Laws. Yeah. <laughs> I knew she wasn't happy and I really poked that button. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's entirely possible if we dedicate ourselves to it. You know, we said we were going to get on the moon and we did. 
So I think it's entirely possible for us to get to Mars as long as we actually, you know, start taking the steps to do that. And right now, because a lot of that funding has been kind of pushed towards the moon, seems like we're on a bit of a different track in terms of the decadal plan. There are no stakes anymore. We're not trying to outdo Russia. (laughs) It's no longer a pissing contest. It's now about science. (laughs) That's boring. Why would we want to go to Mars for science? You guys, I think we chose the wrong field. I know. I was about to be like, uh, I'm going to go study rocks. We studied rocks. We studied Numbers still rocks. hurt my brain. So I did the right yeah, thing. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. I'm terrible at math. Aren't you taking <laughs> calc right now? I just love mapping. I'm taking calc starting tomorrow at nine o'clock AM. Wish me luck. <laughs> Thank you, LB. Well, Thank you so much, Lauren. Thank, Thank you. you. It was me. fabulous to meet you. Maybe yeah. someday we'll all meet in person at Haley's wedding or something. Thanks for putting that clock on me. to Her Moment in History, the podcast. Your weekly dose of women, past and present, real and fictional, salty and sweet, Grace and Michelle. Eavesdrop on our conversations about the famous and the not-so-famous female-identifying peeps that you may or may not have heard of. Giving her her moment in history. Available on most streaming sites. Bye. Bye. Focus of media attention around the world has been on Dr. Sally Ride, Uh, who emphasizes that she's a mission specialist and a scientist who just also happens to be a woman. However, as the first woman to fly in space on board a U.S. spacecraft, history is undoubtedly going to focus on that uh, as well as her accomplishments to date, such as a doctorate in physics from Stanford University. I am pretty sure you've all heard the name Sally Ride, and if you haven't, there are lots of resources out there that cover the basics of Sally's story. So because of this, I am only briefly covering the typical facts about Sally, and instead I'm focusing on some information that is often left out of the traditional coverage of Sally's story. Sally Ride was born on May 26, 1951 in Encino, Los Angeles, California, which happens to be the location of the Karate Kid mural. Sorry, I get distracted really easily. Um, I just finished season three of Cobra Kai. I apologize. Back to Sally. Her interests were encouraged and nourished by her parents, except when she got interested in football, yes, American football, which her parents determined to be too dangerous. She trained from a young age to play tennis professionally and explored the career option extensively. After trying to make a career out of tennis, Sally decided to return to college, attending Stanford, playing on the tennis team and majoring in physics and English. She stayed on at Stanford, completing a master's degree and a doctorate in physics. So she is a three-time alum of Stanford University. (laughs) I just, I love that because I think of the two-time GW alum thing or the three-time GW alum thing. Anyway, I digress. I am a two-time GW alum to be. Sames, samesies. In 1977, NASA decided two important things that allowed Sally to become an astronaut. One. NASA decided to expand beyond recruiting pilots and focus on recruiting scientists to complete research in space. Two, NASA decided it was time to put women in space. 
So after seeing an ad for NASA's recruitment in 1977, Sally decided to apply. Five women were selected to be the first female astronauts as part of NASA's 1978 class. Sally was one of those women. The women trained in scientific and physical tasks, as well as in jet flight. Sally excelled. In 1982, Sally married fellow astronaut Stephen Hawley, and they divorced five years later. In June 1983, Sally was one of the five mission members to fly aboard the Challenger space shuttle. She became the youngest American person to go to space and still is the youngest American person to have been in space at the age of 32. And she was also the first American woman to fly in space, as I'm sure many of you have heard. That seems to be her claim to fame. In interviews leading up to her first mission launch, reporters asked her some of the most inappropriate questions I've ever heard someone ask in an interview, including, but not limited to, what makeup do you safely wear in space? And will you be able to have children, and they did not phrase it as nicely as I have, after you go to space? In addition to the questions, Sally also suffered from being the subject of sexist jokes. Johnny Carson, who was a late night show host, for those who've never heard of him, made a joke suggesting Sally would be late for the launch looking for a purse to match her astronaut shoes. I have a lot of feelings about that. I won't make the frustration noises that Alana does not like to have to try and find a way to, to transcribe for our podcast, but oh my god, I don't know how to express how I feel about that. It's just the most disgusting thing. She was unhappy about all of this. She was saddened that society still could not treat her and her male coworkers with equal respect. And she spoke out about this before and after the mission because she couldn't stand how people were being so poo-poo. So that, that really just grinds my gears. Does it, wait, wait, wait. Does it grind every gear in your solar system of a body? Yes, it does. Quote from Haley that really fits this episode. We referenced it in the Aaron episode, so it's not just like an inside joke between us. The listeners should be able to know it. Well, if they listen to every episode instead of skipping around. Well, everyone should listen to the Aaron episode. It's amazing. It is our most listened to episode, so we have people who listen to that and never listen to anything else unless 300 of the 383 listens are Alana, which is possible. (laughs) I don't think 300, but a lot of them, yeah. In 1984... Sally participated in her second shuttle mission with the focus on observing Earth from space, which is a pretty fun job. Unfortunately, this was her last mission in space. So I think a lot of people hear about Sally Ride and they assume astronauts go to space over and over and over. But going to space is really difficult. It's something that takes a lot of work, a lot of physical and emotional energy. So Sally only went twice. Other people go longer. Some people stay on the ISS, the International Space Station, for longer periods of time. Some people don't, and that's just how that is. In 1986, tragedy struck the NASA family. And I'm about to get real serious for a second. This story is a little sad, gets a little serious, diverges from the normal happy giddiness of the show, and goes into some of the deeper stuff and darker stuff that we cover. So if you don't want to talk about anything like that and you don't want to hear anything like that just skip ahead like a minute and 30 and we'll get back to the other lighter stuff so the space shuttle challenger exploded 73 seconds after liftoff there were five astronauts on board 
Ronald Irwin McNair, Michael John Smith, Dick Scobie, Ellison Onizuka, the first Asian American in space, and Judith Arlene Resnick, Sally's NASA 1978 classmate. So one of the first five women selected as an astronaut. Two non-astronauts selected as payload specialists, which is basically a person who's not an astronaut, but is going to space to do some sort of research and is sponsored by a private organization or a corporation that wants to do science. So they train with the astronauts, but they aren't NASA astronauts. Two of them were selected to also go to space in this mission. A teacher set to be the first American school teacher in space, Christina McGaffley. I think I said it right. I hope I said that right. An engineer, Gregory Jarvis, were also on board. The entire seven person crew perished in the disaster. NASA put a pause on the shuttle program and Sally retired from flying in space. Sally retiring from her role as an astronaut did not mean she was leaving NASA behind, however. Sally was appointed by President Ronald Reagan to an investigation panel intended to explore the circumstances that led to the failure of the Challenger shuttle and increase safety in the shuttle program moving forward. Sally was passionate about uncovering the whole truth and asked tough questions of the witnesses who testified to the panel. But Sally wasn't only tough, she was also compassionate. One witness, an engineer who had helped construct the fatal shuttle, revealed that he had been shamed by his coworkers. They were not NASA employees. They were part of a third party that was contracted to do work. His coworkers were shaming him for exposing issues with the functions of seals on the shuttle that they would malfunction during cold weather. He pointed it out. They would shame him. And the issue ended up being investigated as a factor in the mission's failure. After he finished his testimony, Sally gave him a hug, something she was not known to do often, especially in public. Before his death in 2012, the engineer noted that Sally's support was one of the few things that got him through the guilt and sadness he felt in the toughest moments of his life. After the investigation, Sally transitioned her career to space administration, taking the role of special assistant to the NASA administrator for long range and strategic planning. The following year, Sally led a group who wrote a document outlining future recommendations for NASA's shuttle program. It suggested the construction of a permanent moon outpost and exploration of Mars. Sally then retired from NASA and became a physics professor, which is pretty cool because you can imagine being a woman studying physics and having Sally as your professor. That would be pretty cool. That would be like, oh, hey, my professor was in space. What'd your professor do? And I'm sure that would help a lot of women in the physics program at the university dream big. Sally became very passionate about education. In 2001, she and her partner started Sally Ride Science, a company with the goal of making STEM education fun and encouraging students from all backgrounds to explore careers in STEM. In 2003, Sally was once again called to the difficult task of investigating a disaster that took the lives of seven of her fellow astronauts Sally was the only person to serve on the investigation panels for both the Challenger and Columbia accidents. One of the aspects of Sally's life that often gets ignored is her relationship with Dr. Tam O'Shaughnessy. This is because during Sally's life, she kept her personal life private. Sally and Tam met when they were kids competing in tennis competitions. They remained close friends throughout life and eventually fell in love. They began the romantic relationship in 1985 and were partners in life and business for 27 years until Sally passed away. Tam has a doctorate in school psychology and is currently executive director of the Sally Ride Science at UC San Diego. 
the organization which resulted after UC San Diego acquired the Sally Ride Science Program Sally and Tam founded together. During their time together, Tam and Sally wrote children's books about science, and Tam has continued to author educational science books for children on her own. On July 23rd, 2012, Sally passed away after a long battle with pancreatic cancer. In 2013, President Obama posthumously honored Sally with a Presidential Medal of Freedom. Tam accepted the award on Sally's behalf and was introduced as her life partner. They didn't try and do the friends or roommates thing. They were like, her life partner, Tam. Well, no I think they said Dr. O'Shaughnessy. Um, they did not do the gal pal Gals thing. being pals. They, they went all for it. I mean, I guess some crazy people could be like, life partner doesn't mean anything. But I mean, it, yes, I it think does. it's pretty clear. Yes, it does. Uh, I think it's pretty Shut clear what up. life partner means. As far as we know, of the 550 American individuals who have traveled to space, Sally has been the only LGBT plus individual. If another American who has flown in space identifies as LGBT, they have not shared this information publicly. The moral of the story, I think we need some more gays in space, or at least some more openly gays gays in space uh, to inspire the young gays to gay in space. Words, things, I uh, would love to have more space space gays. <laughs> My mouth is like trying to make words and it's like a tongue twister that isn't a tongue I twister. I heard what one point mace gays and I was like, no. <laughs> No. <laughs> space gaze. Space um, gaze. Highly preferable. Gloria Steinman, if you guys have heard of her, prominent woman, wrote, millions of little girls are going to sit by their television sets and see they can be astronauts, heroes, explorers, and scientists. I believe this quote perfectly sums up Sally's legacy as she was most certainly inspiring to many women and has inspired many to pursue science. But Sally's goal wasn't to be an inspiration. She often said that her dream was just to soar amongst the stars, and that she did. Of her time in space, she is quoted saying, the stars don't look bigger, but they do look brighter. In my links for further learning this week, I have included some videos of Tam talking about Sally. And they are wonderful, and they gave me a warm, fuzzy, happy feeling because Tam clearly loves Sally like so much. So if you want like a cute romance, fun, happy time, Please go watch Tam talk about Sally because it's just like this. And she talks like she is a doctor of school psychology. Like she has that vibe. And she just, but also talks about Sally in such a cute way. I don't know. I'm obsessed with it. I'm a big fan. Watch it. If you want to see a heartwarming video, just check that out. I also include a link to Fly Girls, Women in Aerospace, which is an episode of STEM and 30, the Air and Space Museum program I'm currently interning with. This episode is a great introduction to the contributions of women in the aerospace industry. Even though the show's intended audience is middle schoolers, I find that the content is great for those of us who are not science experts in all age groups because it explains science clearly. So check that out if you're interested and you need more of science in like layman's terms than non-science terms. And you can also buy a Sally Ride Barbie. That's her legacy. Like women in space, gays in space, buy a Barbie. Need I say more? Capitalism. Capitalism. I would like to go into space for a couple of reasons. Uh, the space program meets my particular academic needs, gives me something that's intellectually challenging, also physically challenging, but much more important, I think, that man needs something to dream about. Uh, we've explored our world, 
fairly thoroughly. I realize that the ocean's remaining, that that's three quarters of our world, but there's really just two frontiers left, the ocean and space, and I'd like to be part of that effort. So, like, Sally was a three-time Stanford alum. We're going to talk about a three-time UCLA alum with Anna Lee Fisher. And was it just me or, like, for this research, particularly confusing? Like, Rikert Science is clearly not for me, and I've come to accept that. NASA has a lot of internal lingo that is interesting yeah. to navigate. Like, why are they called payload exactly. specialists? Who knows? NASA Which knows. is my next note that surprisingly a lot of my sources came from like news articles and other postings about Anna being the commencement speaker at UCLA a few years ago. Because like I said, she's a three-time graduate from UCLA with a BS in chemistry, an MD, a ma- and a master's in chemistry. And also YouTube videos, as Lexi said, were chef's kiss on this. A lot of Anna Lee Fisher's YouTube videos and her interviewing are just also amazing. Okay. Dr. Anna Lee Fisher is not only a Virgo like the podcast, but the first U.S. mom in space. Moonwalking our way into this history book, Dr. Fisher was selected by NASA to be one of the first female astronauts in 1978 or just the new budding of more females going into space. In 1984, she embarked on a mission, the Space Shuttle Discovery, and that was mission STS-51A. Again, that NASA lingo slipping its way in. However, she was assigned this mission the year before, and that was two weeks before giving birth to her daughter. And the way it happened apparently was that her boss asked both her and her husband, who was also in the training program, into his office and said, quote, I'm thinking of sending Anna. And of course, that was not an offer. She could just be like, "Mm, no thanks. And when she actually went into space, her daughter was 14 months old. And in that UCLA speech, the commencement speech, she talked about the mission a lot. And she said, I didn't consider that being a big deal as most of my male colleagues also had children. But of course, my daughter says I owe it all to her. And to be fair, I tell my mom like the same thing, like as the oldest child being like, mom, you're the only reason, like your mom, because I'm here. But also my mom's not an astronaut. Pivoting a little in the same speech, she also talked about the lack of gender diversity in her science classes. She said, I was almost always the only one or one of two or three females in math, chemistry, and physics classes. I was not only accepted, but mentored and encouraged by mostly male professors at the time. That was in the late 60s and early 70s. And honestly, that hasn't changed much um, with some fields and even classes, because just like in high school, I remember being in like business classes and those were considered like all the classes that the boys took, even though the teacher was female. And the like female teacher, obviously, we bonded just because we had similar interests, but it was clear that she was just very surprised when a female would be in her class. And for most of the classes, especially the ones that weren't like intro to business, but like accounting and I think marketing, I was one of three females, which was very eye-opening for me. And when I read this, I was like, yep, I feel that. Not to that extent of being an astronaut, but hasn't changed much. 
I don't think. I think there's definitely an improvement. And she notes that there is a lot more of a women be in STEM encouragement in recent years, but there's still some improvements to be made. And she also said when she was studying, she always wanted to be an astronaut and was really passionate about just studying and everything and anything that had to do with that goal. And in an interview for, I believe like middle schoolers, because literally in this question was, what would you tell middle schoolers to do to get a job at NASA type of situation? Like that was on the long lines and it specifically was like middle schoolers. And she said to study your passion, have different plans to your goal because her goal, although was to be an astronaut, she first got rejected from medical school. And that's when she started to TA for a chemistry class. And because of like that sidetrack note, making her like more noticeable and actually got her on a list of people that NASA then looked at and was like, hey, we kind of need a person that does X, Y, and Z. Oh, Annalie Fisher was actually a TA in chemistry that does all these things. Cool, let's put her on that list. And without that list and without that like TA chemistry, which was supposed to be like medical school, but that didn't happen, actually got her into space. And Fisher ultimately retired in 2017. And I just want to leave you all with like one last quote of hers, which is, be who you want to be and live the life you want to live. So once again, we're about to begin a whole new era of exploration with endless possibilities where we can boldly go. Before Sally Ride and Annalie Fisher went to space for real, Nichelle Nichols went to space for fake. Nichelle Nichols was born December 29, 1936, a Capricorn in Robbins, Illinois. She actually got her start performing with Duke Ellington's band and was really into live theater for like the audience aspect. When she got the Star Trek role, she saw it as a stepping stone to her true dream, Broadway stardom. A lot of my stories about Nichelle and Star Trek come from a Star Talk interview she did with Neil deGrasse Tyson, and she's lovely in it, so if you can stomach pedantic space asshole for 45 minutes, she's definitely worth it. My hot take is I don't like Neil deGrasse Tyson. I think he's pedantic and an asshole. After the first season of Star Trek, Nichelle had given her resignation letter to Gene Roddenberry, who was the creator of Star Trek, if you don't know. The next night, she was at a fundraiser for the NAACP and someone came up to her and was like, Ms. Nichols, this guy wants to meet you. He's your biggest fan. And she was like, okay, and expected it to be a kid. Uh, but she turned around and it was Martin Luther King Jr. And then she thought, oh no, this little Trekkie kid is going to have to wait because I'm about to talk to Dr. King. But then the Trekkie kid was Dr. King. Uh, and he convinced her not to quit the show because seeing a Black woman do a job that literally an alien could do was huge. Anything or anyone could do this job that she was doing. She was the communications officer and fourth in command uh, of the Starship Enterprise. But they chose her to be this role, a Black woman. She also inspired Whoopi Goldberg to be on Star Trek because there was a Black woman on TV who wasn't a maid. In further learning, I am putting something about TV's first interracial kiss, only because I legit thought the picture was from the drunk history story they did about it. After Star Trek was canceled, NASA hired Nichelle to be a recruiter for the space shuttle program in the late 1970s. 
specifically to recruit women and people of color, including Sally Ride and Mae Jemison, who was the first Black woman in space for reals. Both of them credit seeing Nichelle Nichols on Star Trek as the inspiration for their careers. Also, Nichelle kind of did NASA work beyond recruiting. In 2015, she flew on the Stratospheric Observatory for Infrared Astronomy, or SOFIA. Uh, I put an article on it in Further Learning as well, if you want to see more about cool things that she did with NASA for reals. I know she was not an astronaut for reals or anything, but I think it's cool that she went to space for fake and inspired all these people to go to space for reals. And as we learned in our interview portion of the show, there are lots of ladies who work in the space industry that aren't astronauts. So little girls, if you want to work in space, doesn't mean you need to get in the big scary rocket. (laughs) You can stay on the ground and be a nerd if you want to. You can stay on the ground if you want to. I certainly feel that women are are here to stay as part of the space program. Um, You know, this time all the women selected were selected as mission specialists. I certainly feel that in future selections with women training as pilots, that there will be uh, women selected as pilots. Um, I think we're here to stay. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at LadyHistoryPod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode will be on LadyHistoryPod.tumblr.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or tell your friends. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at LexiBDraws. Our theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us, and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. Next week on Lady History, we're going to be talking about some women in sex work. So stay tuned.